we are wrapping up Jude's epistle today. This brother Jude, he wanted to write about the salvation he and his readers had in common, but his pen, no doubt prompted by the Holy Spirit, his pen turned in another direction. Contend earnestly for the faith, he said, which was once for all delivered to the saints. The saints, not a title granted by some church council somewhere, but the very status and position of every true and spirit-filled believer in Jesus Christ, this sainthood. Much of Jude's letter describes God's judgment on those who did not or will not keep the faith. And so listen to his closing words for those who do keep the faith. Jude chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, Who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. But you, beloved, just prior to this, Jude described the ungodly as grumblers, complainers, worldly people, full of lust and flattery. And he says, but you guys, you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. He's saying, be different. The word sanctified, holy, and saint throughout the New Testament come from the Greek word hagios. And hagios implies someone or something sacred and therefore set apart, something, someone different. In a sacred and set-apart people, we ought to be the opposite of grumbling and complaining and worldly. We should build ourselves up, not in arrogance or self-confidence, but on our most holy faith. Our faith in Jesus is something we should hold near and dear to us as sacred, something to be nurtured and protected. And this is why Jude says we should contend for it. We should fight earnestly for it. Praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, we can build ourselves up in our most holy faith by going to the Lord in prayer. And when we pray, not just talk to God, but listen to Him, we align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, and He gives us power to live for Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us sets us apart from unbelievers who, as Jude mentioned in verse 19, unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit. And there's a saying, I heard long ago, either you're a saint or you ain't. Either you are sanctified, set apart, holy for God, or you're not. Keep yourselves in the love of God, he says. It's so easy to stray from the love of God, to forget how much he loves us and really the weight and value of what that means exactly. It's so easy to take God's love for granted, only to stray from Him. And it's always to our own hurt. So keep ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy 
of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You know, building and praying, keeping and looking, these things Jude is calling us to do, these are things that we've got to do. We should be actively looking for God's mercy, which means not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. So what are we looking for when we look to him? We're looking to his grace and his mercy and the eternal life that comes forth from from him. You know, we, we receive God's mercy only because of his grace in Jesus' death and resurrection. Only because of his death and resurrection can we have mercy. Look to him. Keep ourselves in the love of God and look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of Psalm 123 verses 1 and 2 where he says, Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Look to the hand of God. Look to the hand of our master and seek his mercy. This makes me think of our fur baby, our our, uh, our little dog, Daisy. She's just a chill dog, an old soul. She doesn't get excited about much, only when the doorbell rings and her morning and evening meals. Now, I'm not going to say she's spoiled, but every day for her morning meal... I thaw out a chicken drumette, and she does a happy little dance. But let me tell you something about Daisy that used to annoy me, actually. You know, when I would be in the kitchen preparing food or when we'd finish a meal and I'd go to the kitchen with our plates, she would go in there and just kind of be at the ready. She's not the kind to beg. She doesn't sit under our feet and and grovel and and beg, but she does position herself in, in in line of sight, <laughs> just waiting. And I used to be like, you know, will you go away? I didn't call you. What do you, you know, get out of here? At some point, I think it's the Lord. He just showed me, Jason, Daisy expects good things from you. She's come to expect good things from you because you've been good to her. You know, we've given her scraps and our leftovers. Sometimes in cooking, you know, I'll, I'll throw her a piece of what I'm cooking or whatever. So, you know, I've trained her, really, <laughs> now that I think about it, I've kind of trained her to expect good things. And I think I I have a lot to learn from Daisy Dog, to look to the hand of the Lord, to expect that, that he's good, man. And he wants to be the great giver of good things, which which first and foremost includes his grace and his mercy unto eternal life. So that's us. When Jude says, you know, but you, he has something different for us. But we still have to keep our eyes on the lookout because he says, on some have compassion, in verses 22 and 23. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, I've mentioned several times in previous studies that we aren't to go on a witch hunt, but to be on the lookout for those Jude 
and the apostles described as ungodly, dangerous, hidden reefs in the church. That said, there are times when we have to do something about it, or we may have to ask somebody to leave or to go away. I propose, for example, two case studies. Two case studies. The first one is when believers behave as unbelievers. You can find that in 1 Corinthians for our little case study here today. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. Verses 1 through 8. I'm just going to read this briefly. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And they had a lot of issues in their church that he addressed one by one. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in the body but present in the spirit have already judged as though I were present with him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sanctified for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here we see the church at Corinth seemed to think that they were being gracious by ignoring the fact that one of their brothers was hooking up with his stepmom, probably his stepmom, if not his mom. And Paul said they should give this brother over to Satan that he might be saved. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that God uses our enemies, that he uses the Satan, the the adversary, to draw us to himself. Remember Job. I think that's also another great example in Scripture where God uses Satan to buffet Job in order to develop his inner man, his character. But the goal... The goal in church discipline, when believers behave as unbelievers, the goal should be restoration. Someone's going to live like the devil? Give them over to the devil. They can't hang out in fellowship with us. They can't partake in the Lord's Supper. They can't partake in the benefits that we have when we fellowship together. Well, again, to that end, the goal being restoration, as you look to Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 2, I'm going to read for you. It looks like he addresses that occurrence. And he says, for out of much affliction, this is chapter 2 verse 4, out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. If anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. 
Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It's really interesting there. When believers behave as unbelievers, we we give them over. At some point, we may give them over to the enemy. Well, you want to live like the world? Go for it. Let the world beat up on them. They're not going to find the peace of Christ. They're not going to find that contentment, that joy that they once had in Christ. But when they are repentant, forgive them. You know, take them back. Don't let Satan take advantage of him or us. We're not ignorant of his devices, Paul said. So that's when we, again, that's case study number one, when believers behave as unbelievers. Case study number two is when unbelievers are a hindrance to the truth. Scripture for that, 2 John, 2 John chapter 1, verses 7 to 11. I'm going to turn there myself. Second John, really small little letter, only 13 verses. John's writing to, I believe, a, a church that's meeting in a home because that's how the church met for the first 300 years of Christianity. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 7 through 11. He says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine or the teaching of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? I mean, John said, those whose aim is to pervert the truth, he calls them deceivers, should not be allowed in the church. And we should not even greet them. They shouldn't even be greeted because in greeting them, we share in their evil deeds. Remember, remember though, this isn't about being mean or discourteous. First century greetings were more than just, hey, what's up, or saying hello or good afternoon. When you, when you greet somebody in the first century, that was a very thorough process of certain motions with your hand that you would put on your, on your heart and on your lips and on your, on your head, and you would greet them with a hug and a kiss two or three times on the cheek. And then you would, it would usually invite them into your home for a meal. So that's what he means there. Don't, don't even greet him. Don't, don't bring this person into your house. So, you know, it reminds me of so many seeker friendly churches. And I'm not saying churches shouldn't be hospitable and welcoming and warm for unbelievers, but for those unbelievers whose aim is to deceive and to intentionally bring in false doctrine and serve themselves, don't let them in. Don't even greet them. Just keep going. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, he says, 
before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What a perfect conclusion. What a perfect conclusion and and a fitting benediction Jude offers here. Jude ends his letter as he began in Jude 1.1 when he said, To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You know, he speaks to God's saving, preserving power. Those who are called, those who are sanctified, hagias, by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. When, When we are unable to keep ourselves from stumbling... When we fail to keep ourselves in the love of God, Jesus is able. When we are unable, Jesus is able and always planted in the Father's love. He is able to keep us from stumbling, to present us faultless before the presence of God with exceeding joy. He will present us faultless and blameless before the Father with with that great joy which means we don't have to be afraid of judgment day as the apostle John said in 1 John 4 verses 17 and 19 I love this love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is as Jesus is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Man, love has been perfected in in us in, in that we have this great confidence, this boldness. When we remember that just as Jesus is, and what is he? He's perfect. He's content. He's righteous. He, he has good standing in the Father's eyes as he is. So are we in this world. Positionally, in Christ, we are perfect and acceptable to the Father. At some point in reading the Word of God and hearing a sermon or some sort of teaching, we've got to ask the question, so what? So what? What does this mean for us? First thing I would offer you and me Consideration here really is to nurture, protect, and contend for the faith. You know, I have faith my car will start when I turn the key, although there's a chance someday it may not. And I have faith in certain products to do as advertised, although someday they may not. But my most holy faith, my trust in Jesus Christ, is different. It's hagias, it's holy, it's sacred and set apart and never fails. We must nurture, and protect, and fight for this sacred faith that has been given us. The second thing is, we've got to do the work. Build ourselves up and, our, and others up on our most holy faith, right? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep ourselves in the love of God. And as Jude said, look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be entitled, but expect Him to be good. So nurture, protect, and contend for the faith. Do the work. And finally, 
I'll just leave you with this question. Are you a saint or an ain't? Are you a saint or an ain't? If you're not born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you, which makes you an enemy of God. And apart from God and Christ, all of us are just sinners. We're criminals awaiting the death penalty. Apart, apart from him, we are naturally antagonistic to the things of God. We will not fight for the gospel, but against it. Apart from Christ in us, we will not do the work, which means we should fear and expect God's wrath on Judgment Day. And so, if that's you, if you are an ain't, and you have not connected with God in Christ, turn to Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling, and trust Him alone to present you faultless before the presence of God's glory with exceeding joy. Almighty God, I just thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for giving such practical advice when you when you call us to get close to you and you you tell us how to do that, how to you know to build ourselves up on our most holy faith and how to pray, how to seek your face and, and to listen for your voice, listen to your word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to keep ourselves in your love, looking for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your mercy, for not giving us what we, what we deserve. We deserve wrath and separation, and punishment from you. And you took that upon yourself in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Please, Father, bless your word. Bless those who are hearing your word. Help us to live a life that's pleasing to you. And for those who haven't yet made their decision, Lord, who are resisting the prompting and wooing and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Help them, Lord, by your grace and mercy to repent. To repent and turn to you and just connect with you to find everything they're looking for can be found in Jesus Christ. That you may get the glory and the honor that you deserve, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.